series, Four Things I Wish You Knew About God. Now, let me tell you about this series and kind of the idea behind it, where it came from. Um, what I begin to ask myself is this, man, if I can just sit down with anybody and help them know who God is or tell them like what I think might be the most critical and important things. And, and what I realize is that this question is so much bigger than, than just asking it to one person at one time, because everybody might need a slightly different answer depending on where they're at. I even thought about it in these terms, that there are certain places in the world where they have a clue about who God is in this area, but they're missing God here. And in another part of the world, they've got God here, but they're missing him. And so even culturally speaking, generationally speaking, that you can see in America, there are certain time periods where you're like, wow, what were we thinking? You ever done that? You look in history at, at, at the, the like kind of the history of Christianity and you look at like time periods where you're like, Christians were doing some really dumb things. Like what? What were they thinking? It was something they didn't know about God. It was a part of God that they hadn't grasped and understood. And so I started asking myself, what is it I think we need to understand right now? You people, me people, us people, American culture today, Northern California, Bay Area, whatever you want to call it, right now here today. And if I could say, man, what are, what are the things that I always hear from you that I think you need to hear because you, you're just asking for? What is it I think you need to hear because you may be missing an aspect of who God is that would radically change your life if you only knew what God was really like? And so today I'm going to start with what may seem to be the most simple thing in the world. It may be so simple that you will have a temptation to like check out on me. So I need you to promise me in advance that you're not going to check out. Everybody say, I promise. You can't check out on me. This, this is going to come off so basic and so simple, but it's not. It's so deep. It's so rich. And it, it is so meaningful. As a matter of fact, what we'll talk about today, everything in life, everything in the universe hinges on this one thought. And it's so simple. It's so basic. So let's begin today with talking about this very first thing. In this series, four things I wish you knew about God. Here's number one, and I'll just kind of let the cat out of the bag right now. We're going to talk about it right up front, and it's this, is that God is love. Everybody say is. God is love. And, and, and we'll talk about this today, that God is love. It's the most important thing that you can ever understand about who God is. And here's one of the reasons why we miss it and why we kind of make the mistake of not understanding how this really works. The other night, this is about two nights ago at my house, um, my wife has the idea, my wife has a thing with waffles. I don't know. She has like this thing, it's like, it's like a fetish or something weird. It's like a, it's a thing, a craving? I don't know what it is. There's an emotional thing to it. I even asked her about it. I'm like, what is your deal with waffles? And she goes, well, it takes me back to a time when I was a little girl and she has a story about waffles. And so we're doing chicken and waffles. How many love some chicken and waffles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get some, you get, the, now that's what I do. You get the waffle and then you, depending on the size of your chicken, you start placing the chicken just on, and then you drip the syrup all over it. And then you just dig in. It's so good. And so anyway, we're having chicken and waffles at the house. And I look around and, you know, I got three little munchkins and I'm like, Hey, how, you, how do you like it? Mama, I like it. It is so good. And my littlest one, Caitlin, she's only five years old. She does still five-year-old things. And she goes, Daddy, I don't like it. I love it. <laughs> and I just smile. She's like, I don't like it. I love it. And I thought, how intense for a five-year-old, you know? And she just came up with that on her own. She's like, I don't like it. I love it. Everybody said, I love it. Now, here's the problem with love, is that we don't really understand love. And I'll tell you why these people who were writing the Bible probably had a better understanding of love than the way we do. And, and here's why. It's because in their language, they had four different words that they would use to describe love the way we use it. Does that make sense? Like, we got one word. So let me ask you some questions. How many out there, this is a real easy one, how many of y'all love the Niners? You just love... You just, very unenthusiastic. Are y'all just not hopeful about our season? Is this, should we talk? I don't know. 
All right, watch, watch, watch this. How many of y'all love the Raiders? See what I'm saying? Mindless devotion. It doesn't even matter. Okay? It doesn't even matter. They could, they could continue losing. They've been the worst team in the league for 15 years. It doesn't matter. Love. Y'all might have a special kind of love that I'll talk about later. Anyway, but love, that love. How many of y'all love chicken and waffles? You love? How many love pizza? How many love your car? You might love your Okay. How many hate your car? Yeah, okay. Um, so so we, we, we love certain things in life. How many you know, um, you, how many you love a good cup of coffee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love some coffee. Um, how many you love your friends? You got some friends? You love your friends? How many got any kids? You love your kids? Yeah, yeah. We, we got... It's a special kind of love there, isn't it? Okay, so, so, so here's, here's the deal. We love chicken and waffles, and we love our children, and we just love, we love. And so the, the, the Greek language was different. The Greek language, which is primarily what the New Testament was written in, was the Koine Greek language. They had four different words that they used to describe this one word that we got called love. Everybody said love. Let's take a look at the four words. The first word is this. Everybody say storge. This is the first word that they would use. Storge is what we're talking about when we talk about like affection. Like when we say we love pizza or when we say we love the Niners or when we say we love coffee or whatever, it's affection for. Like if we say, oh, I love, I love your smile or I love the sound of your voice or, you know, what, stuff like that. Anything that you just kind of are fond of and affectionate towards, that's storge. It's a, it's a mild love, but, you know, I mean... You, you love it. The next one is this. It's eros. Everybody say eros. Eros is a Greek word where we, we anybody know what the root of this is? Erotic. This is, this is sexual love. Like when we say, you know, I'm making love, I'm making eros. When we say we fell in love, we fell in some eros. That's the physical, sexual, attractive type love. There's a certain type of physical chemistry thing going on there. That's some eros. The next one is this. It's phileo, which is where, that's the root word that we get what? I, I, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly, man, y'all need to go get that cup of coffee right now. Don't be falling asleep. Stay with me. Phileo is brotherly love. So this is that kind of friendship love, brotherly love, sibling love, maybe if you will. And so this is human love, like how you love another human being. And so we throw these words out, and we're very, very specific now when we start talking about how we feel about a certain thing. Now, the fourth word was the big word. This is a word that's not very common in literature back then. It was primarily left just to the Bible, but it was the word agape. How many of you ever heard of this word before? Agape, yeah. We know this because typically we refer to this as the God kind of love. This is the type of love that we kind of deem as unconditional, it's divine, it's super-duper love, it's, it's love no matter what. And this is where, when we talk about God, we begin to say that God is agape. Does that make sense? That when the authors wrote the Bible, they weren't talking about any of these things. As a matter of fact, see, here's the deal. If you have this, this stuff flows out of that sometimes. But let me help you with, with, with what... The real understanding of love is, love is this, love is a commitment that one makes, a stance one takes towards another, and an activity that one does. Now that's different, isn't it? See, the problem with you and the problem with me is, is we relate love to a feeling. That's why we got that, you've lost that love and feel. We, we got a loving feeling. And that's why our friends... 
Sometimes we don't got that love and feeling because you're getting up on my nerves. And sometimes we look at our spouse, we're like, mm, I'm falling out of love. And we, so we got that kind of love going on. And the problem is this, is that we have, we have changed the definition of love. We changed the meaning of love and therefore we have messed it up. But when you begin to realize that love is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a decision. It's a commitment one makes. It's a stance one takes. It's an, everybody say that. Everybody say love is a verb. Love is a verb. We talked about this, I think, a year or two ago in, in one of our marriage series that love, as long as you think of it as a feeling, when you look at your spouse, you're going to have problems. Because sometimes your spouse is annoying. Sometimes they're irritating. Sometimes they, not you, baby, other people. Sometimes me. Me. That's me in the relationship. But, but anyway, my point is this, is that I don't, I don't, I don't love her based on a feeling. I love her based on a commitment and a stance and an activity that I do. So regardless of how I feel about her, I can always love her. Does that make sense? So the question is not, am I in love with her? Is if in love is a feeling like am I in a feeling place? Because sometimes I'm totally feeling it. But you know, not all the time. And so my, that, that's, that's not what you want because that's fleeting. That comes and goes. And here's the other deal too. If you could put the four words back up, what you'll find is this, is when you learn to live in this, when you learn to experience this, this flows out of it. But these things require feeling, don't they? Now, when you have this, feelings will come, feelings will follow. But even when they're not there, love endures and love remains even when there's no feeling. And so this is what we talk about, that God is love. He's down here. Sometimes this is here when it comes to this stuff, but I mean, he is committed to you. He has loving kindness towards you. That's the type of, so, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about how this works. Four quick thoughts on, on how God is love. Number one is this, and this is important, is that love is not an attribute of God, but rather who he is. Do you see the difference? Like, like, like God's not just a lover. He is love. Let, let, me, let me put it like this. In the Bible, it will talk about God being just or God being merciful. But it never says that God is mercy or that God is justice. Does that make sense? Those are attributes that he has. If you ever wanted to know what is God, I'm talking about the core of his being and his essence. Can I say essence? Water. The essence of wetness. Anyway, essence. Like what his makeup is, like what, what, if you put things together to make God, what would be the makeup? It's love. And I'm telling you that everything in the universe is relative to this thought and this idea. Cause have you ever wondered like, why am I even here? Have you ever asked the question like, why did God even create us to begin with? Why did God create the universe to begin with? Why are we even here? It's because he's love. And he's always been loved. This is the beauty and the dynamic of the Trinity. The Trinity being that God is not just one singular unit being, but God is three in one and one in three. That he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because if love is a commitment and a stance and an action that one takes towards another person, if God were just this singularity in the, in the whatever, 
he would be alone. Therefore, he would be unable to make a commitment and a stance and an action towards another being. And so God, the Trinity makes sense of why God is love. Because even before God created anything, he was already in loving harmony, in loving unity, in loving relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God has always been love. And here's the deal. Because there was so much love, God decided there's an abundance here. So the reason why you were created was not out of a need. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to mess with some of y'all real quick here. God does not need you. <laughs> Doesn't make you feel good. I don't need you. You know, it's not like that. God does not need. It's not like God is sitting out in the universe like a kid who doesn't have a friend. And so his parents buy him a puppy. You know that, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like he doesn't have any friends. Get him a dog. He needs somebody to be his companion. God is not lonely in the universe and needing somebody. And so because he needs you, he made you so that he could love you. God was already in perfect loving relationship and you were created not out of his necessity. You were created out of his abundance. That's why you're here. That's why he did what he did. And so God created this universe whereby which he could enter into a loving relationship with you. But you need to know like he is Love. Let's take a look at the, what the Bible says. Now, we're going to look at a few verses from the book of 1 John. Here's what you need to know about John. John is one of the 12 disciples. He was a part of the inner circle. There was about three of them that got to go do like extra cool stuff and extra fun stuff in that inner circle of things. John also wrote the Gospel of John. Now, here's what you need to know about him. John gets it. John has an understanding of the love of God like maybe no other authors begin to describe. And here's what you even need to know about him. When he wrote his own Basically description of the life of Jesus when he authored himself in because you know, I mean, know like he's a part of the story, right? He doesn't tell it from a first person though He doesn't say I did this and I did that and I did whatever he tells it from third person So he's standing outside and he's painting the picture of who Jesus is But when his character comes up and his name comes up, he doesn't put his name in there. Do you know what he puts in there? He said and the one whom Jesus loved da, 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 da. How cool is that? Like you get to write your own story and Jesus say like, I'm the one, I just want you to know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. So how did John understand God? I, listen, it, he understood that God was love. He understood that he was loved by God. Listen to what John says. Dear friends, 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God, everybody say is, because God is love. It's not that he's loving, that's there. He is love. It's his essence, it's his makeup, it's a part of who he is, and everything in the universe relates to that one thought and that one idea that God is love. It's not just one of his attributes, it's just who he is. Now here's what you need to know about this love, is that God's love is unconditional. Now... I'm going to mess with some of y'all here real quick here because I want to just, I like messing with people. God's love is unconditional. And if you grew up in church, this term has gotten thrown around and it's become uh, dumbed down, watered down. You become numb to it. Yeah, 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 God's unconditional love. But you've, you've yet to really think about what that really means. How many believe God's love is unconditional? I mean, he loved, here's what that really means. Is that God's love and he loves you regardless of your behavior or your performance. Some of y'all, y'all can't handle that. Some of you think you have to be good enough for God to love you. 
Like some of y'all grew up and y'all you grew up with that mom and you grew up with that dad. You grew up with that personality that's so performance driven. And if I didn't do and if I didn't, if I wasn't able, if I didn't live up to, if I didn't make the grade, if I didn't make this, if I didn't do this, then God didn't fully love me. I'm telling you, you, you already said it. His love is unconditional, right? It's a commitment and stance and an action that he takes towards you. And it's irrelevant of you because it's not something that he just has to do based on a feeling depending upon what you did today or didn't do today. But it's who he is and it's unconditional. How many of y'all were bad yesterday? Don't raise your hand. How many of y'all were bad last week? How many of y'all got into a fight on the way to church this morning? How many of y'all have done something in your life that you were ashamed of, embarrassed of, something that you regretted, something that you knew you shouldn't have done and that God wasn't happy and God wasn't pleased? I want you to know that that did never, ever, ever take his love from you. It didn't because his love's unconditional. It's just who he is, regardless of you. His love is so uh, in pursuit of you that it doesn't matter what... It doesn't matter what your behavior or what your performance is. That does not change the fact that God is love and that God loves you. Number two is this, and let's keep reading. Let's read out of 1 John again. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. So, so first we, we, we've already, John's already come out and said, I just need you to know that love is of God and God is about love because God is love. But then he goes, let's, let's break it down more though. This is how God showed his love. So that whole agape thing we've been talking about. He sent his one and only son, everybody say son, into the world that we might live through him. So here's what you need to know. Number one is is that God is love. That is not just an attribute. It's actually the core makeup of who he is. But not only that, number two is this, if you're taking notes, is that the perfect expression of that love is Jesus. It's Jesus. Have you, ever, have you ever asked the question, I wonder what God's like? You already know. It's Jesus. The disciples had this debate. They were like, how can we know what God is like? And Jesus is like, have you not been hanging out with me? I mean, that was his response. Like, you've been hanging out with me for how long? I'm what God looks like. As a matter of fact, look at what the writer of Hebrews, how he put it. Hebrews 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So what, hey, what, what, hey, what's the makeup of God's being though? Love. So what's the expression of that love? Jesus. So if you ever wanted to know, because you ever had this before, my dad was like this. My dad was like, you know, Todd, I don't really get it. He goes, I read the Old Testament and it looks like God's angry. And God blows things up and destroys things and he gets mad and he does this. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes along and he's really nice and he's praying for the kids and he's healing the sick. He goes, I don't understand what the difference is. I'm going to tell you this, there is no difference. That if you ever read the Old Testament in its truest context, God has always been love. God has always been mercy. That whenever God brought about judgment, normally he did it out of love. And that was after an incredible amount of patience and mercy. We got Jesus in, in, in a lifespan of three and a half years. Does that make sense? The Old Testament was thousands of years combined down into a small set of stories. Does that make sense? Jesus has always been the reflection of who God is and God and his love. No matter what you think of the Old Testament, I promise I could probably make sense of it. God has always been love. And then at some point in time, he chose, you know what? It's time that I just kind of wrap love in a body and really put this thing on full display. And so he goes, look, if, if you want to know what God is like, I want you to look at Jesus because he is my exact Representation. So, so everybody say this. Everybody say this. Everybody say God or Jesus is God for us. 
So we know what God is like because we look at Jesus. Now, here's the incredible thing about Jesus, though, is Jesus, because of what he did, and when you put your faith in Jesus, something incredibly crazy happens because of their love, because they are love, because of their love towards us, is that Jesus is not just God for us, but actually Jesus is us for God. Everybody say, huh? Uh, watch this, watch this, watch this. Here's what happens. When you put your faith in Jesus, something incredibly weird, supernatural, and unseen happens. Because how many know when you got saved, you know, if you had bad breath that day, you came down, you said yes to Jesus, you still had bad breath after that. Like nothing physically changed about you. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all had funky personalities and that's still at work in you. And so, but, but my point is this. Something unseen took place. And what happens is this, is that when you put your faith in Jesus, that you change your position in life. And the Bible calls it being in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this. If you ever wanted to know what God looks like, what do you do? You look at Jesus. Isn't that right? So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Now, here's another question. This is the weird one. If you want to know how God sees you, do you know what you have to do? Look at Jesus. You ever wondered, like, how does God see me? Because of my performance, because of my behavior, because of what I did, because of my bad attitude, whatever. What happened when you said yes to Jesus? Your position changed and you became in Christ. So you know when God sees you, do you know what he sees? Y'all are so scared because y'all are not sure if you even believe it. I'm going I'm to make it real easy. Do you know what God sees when he looks at you? He sees... Y'all still don't believe me yet. Do you want to know what God sees when he looks at you? He sees Jesus. And you're like, what? But you don't know what I did last night. I know. It's weird. It's his love. It's his grace. It's what God's up to in you and through you. Because his love's not based on your performance or your behavior. And what happens is this, is by faith you've moved into a new position and you are now found in Christ. So when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect expression of God's love. Let's keep reading. First John chapter 4, verse 10. I feel like y'all didn't... Are y'all with me on that one? Did everybody catch that? All right, get, get the CD later. It'll hit you by lunchtime, okay? First John chapter 4, verse 10 says this. This is the same text we're still just reading. This is love. Not that we loved God. Don't that make you feel better? You mean all the times I fell short, all the times I promised that God I'll never, God I will, if you'll just, I promise. Like that's not even what love is. Love is not your attempt to love God. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is what love really is. But that he loved us and sent his son, not just as the perfect expression, but he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. To atone means to basically take the place of. So again, you're in Jesus. So when God sees you, who does he see? Good, y'all are getting there. This is the, now, now here's, here's the point that I have to make. Not only is Jesus the perfect expression of that love, number three is this, the cross makes that love unsurpassable. The cross makes that love unsurpassable. Here's why. How many of y'all like card games? You play card games, play things like Euchre or, or Spades or different, different card games. There is a concept in the card game world called the trump card. How many of you I'm talking about there? You remember what the trump card is? This is the card that is above all cards. It's when I play this card, I don't care what you have, I win. Like when you're playing spades and you throw the ace of spades or you throw the whatever, like when you're playing euchre, it's the, it's the red jack or the black jack. Y'all need to know euchre is a Yankee game. It's weird. 
There is a card that you can play that it doesn't matter what you do in life. You cannot beat that card. When God played the Jesus card, not just as the expression of who he is, but when he put him on the cross and made a sacrifice on your behalf and my behalf, it was like God played the ultimate trump card. You cannot beat it. That's why that love is unsurpassable. There is nothing higher than that. Here's why. Because there's nothing more valuable than Jesus. In all the cosmos and all the universe, there's nothing more precious, there's nothing more valuable than Jesus. So it was as if God showed up and said, what are you going to give? What are you going to give? What are you going to... I'm going to beat y'all. Watch this. I'm going to give Jesus. And he played the trump card. He played the Jesus card. Because here's what he did. He gave what has unsurpassable worth on behalf of people who seem to have little to no worth at all. That's what he did. Just so he could say, I'm love. I want you to know it's just not something I do. It's who I am. And Jesus is the expression of that love. And when he got onto the cross, it made it unsurpassable. Listen to this, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So he's saying, you need to understand, like, the concept of love is giving. It's a position. It's a stance. It's, it's an action towards somebody. And you can't trump life because life is precious and life is valuable. But what if I gave the most valuable life in the entire what is known? That's Jesus. Listen to this, Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this big idea. That while we were still sinners, where we had no apparent worth whatsoever, Christ, who had unsurpassable worth, died for us. You cannot give anything better or bigger than Jesus. You can't. In light of that, verse 11. Dear friends, he goes back to that friends thing. He's like the nicest guy. Is he like friends? Dear friends, since God so loved us, Meaning in light of the fact that God is love, that Jesus is the expression of that love, and the cross made his love unsurpassable. In light of all of that, I want you to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Are you seeing it now? It's a lot bigger than just, okay, yeah, yeah, God's love. No, 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 he is love. Jesus, the expression of that love, the cross was making that love unsurpassable. But in the light of that, what would God have you do? Number four is this, if you're taking notes, is this, is that love is reflected through us and how we treat other people. If you've ever asked the question, wow, I really want to love God. I really want to return God's love. I really want to do something for God. Do you know what you do? You do, because here's the deal. You cannot love God while dismissing what God loves. Does that make sense? Let let, let me put it like this. I'll put it a different way. It is impossible to ascribe worth to God while refusing to ascribe worth to those whom God ascribes worth. You, You can't dismiss what God loves to say, I love God. Does that make sense? If you love God, if you are in God's love, if you're reflecting God's love, it is this. It's in how you treat other people. Because remember, he gave what was the most worthy thing on the universe that you could possibly think of in Jesus and he ascribed worth to who to you and me so for you to treat me and you or any other human being less than that I'm telling you you've missed the fact that God is love that the way it's reflected is in how you treat other people let me let me put it like this this is how John describes it. I'm gonna rapid fire some of these verses that will make more sense now listen to this first John 3:14 says this He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one 
another. Whoever does not abide or does not love abides in death. Next verse. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Next verse. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. That's not nice. Um, Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Next verse. The commandment we have from Jesus is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Last one. By this, everyone will know. This is how Jesus put it. That you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Are you getting it? God is love. God invites you into that love. It's expressed through Jesus. It's put on full display on the cross. And he invites you into all of it. But then he says, if you want to respond to that, here's what matters most to me. It's in how you treat other people who I have ascribed incredible worth. So here's the question that we all have to wrestle with today. Number one is this, is have I received that love? Am I fully aware that God is love? Have I, have I stepped into that? Have I embraced it? Have I received that? D- do I live in that love? Like, is that something that constantly is around my mind and my thinking and my actions and my attitude? Do I live in that? And this might be the biggest and best question of all is this, is am I growing in my capacity to love other people? Jesus tells a story. This is in Matthew chapter 25. It's semi-parable-ish. He gets together people and he said, I need you to know this. I need you to know that when time ends, that God gathers all people and he separates one from another like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. And this is how he does it. And then he goes on to paint this picture. He says this in verse number 37. I'm sorry, let me get to verse 37 in a second. He says this, he goes, the sheep are the righteous. And what happens is, is that when I was sick, you came and visited me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I didn't have clothes, you, 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 you put clothes on my back. That is the sheep. That is the righteous. Those are the people who really get me and are with me and understand me. That's what it's like. So then the righteous answer and respond. And they're like, Lord... When did we ever see you hungry? You you weren't broke. You had money. When were you ever hungry and did we feed you? When were you ever thirsty and we gave you something to drink? You've you've never lacked. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Like you need to get this. If you want to love God, you've got to love what matters most to God. What matters most to God is people. So if you ever wanted to love because here's the problem we as Christians have. We as Christians get so set on, did I do my religious duties? Like, did I go to church? Did I pray? Did I read my Bible? Did I not commit these sins? Did I do? And so we're always working through a religious checklist. And listen to me. Do I always want you to go to church? Duh. You know what I'm saying? Of course I do. Do I want you to read your Bible? Do I want you to pray? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're typically going through our spiritual checklist of did I do all these things? Did I meet all these performances and behaviors so that God knows that he loves me and I love him so that that's all squared away and that's all settled? And do you know what actually matters most to God? 
and how you treat other people. Because later he goes on to say the goat people, don't, we don't want to be the goat people. They say the same thing. They're like, hey, Jesus, when were you ever clothed in this and this and we didn't do this? And he goes, when every time you neglected human beings, whenever you neglected people, this is how you neglected me. So if you ever wanted to love God, if you ever wanted to please your heavenly father, if you ever wanted to live in that love, walk in that love and put that love on display, it is put fully on display in how you treat other people. I'll describe it to you like this and I'm done. Me and my wife have talked about this and I think I've shared this in the past before too. There's something really, really special I have three kids. They're, um, what are they, 11, 8, and 5. Wonderful kids. Love spending time with them, love doing things with them. And there's something really, really cool about when they're obedient. We love that, right? There's something really, really cool when they do good and they're, they're doing their schoolwork. We love all those things, don't we? So it's not that those things aren't cool. We love it when our kids are really sweet to us. Like my kids are still at that age to where like my, my daughter just came last night. Like last night I hit a lull in the partay. Um, I think it was probably about eight o'clock and I had just eaten a burger and a hot dog. And so I got kind of a food coma and, and I passed out on the couch because I was at my friend's couch and their couch, you don't sit on it. It receives you. It just envelops you and just come, come lay with me. And so, so I lay into this couch full of, of a lot of food and I dive into my food coma And my little girl, she's only five. This is the one that said, I don't like waffles. I love them. And so she comes up to me and she cuddles up. She literally grabs my arm and puts it around her. And then she pulls out a little pet dog and stuffs it underneath my my chin. And we just, and I passed out. I don't even know how long I was asleep. People could have been making fun of me. I don't know what happened. And we love those moments, don't we? When our children come up and they love us and they embrace us and all that stuff. We love all those things. They're all good. But there's something incredibly moving and powerful, and maybe the most special of all, is when we see our children love each other. It's one thing to have your children say, Daddy, I love you, or Mommy, I love you. It is an entirely different thing when you say brother to sister, or sister to sister, or sister to brother, say, Hey, I love you. It is a totally different moment in the heart of a parent when two siblings love each other. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that that's what matters most to God. So if there's anything that I really want you to know about God, it's that God is love. It's not just something he does occasionally or feels. It's who he is. It's his essence and his makeup. And that Jesus is the perfect expression of that love. And the cross made that love unsurpassable. There was nothing that could ever beat or trump God's love for you. And then God invites you into that loving relationship. And this is what he really cares about most, is that you take that love and that you give it to other people. This is why we need to be careful of bitterness. This is why we need to be careful of hatred. This is why we need to be incredibly careful of bigotry. This is why we need to be careful of, of looking down at other people for whatever reason. This is why we need to be careful. It doesn't matter if they don't agree with our theology. Jesus has ascribed incredible worth. They are made in his image and likeness and Christ died for them. Whether they agree with your theology or not, whether they live righteously or not, they have incredible worth because God said they have incredible worth. And that's what I want you to do. Regardless if they're pure, if they're moral, if they're righteous or they're unrighteous, I want you to receive God's love and then pass it along to the best of your ability. That is how you love God. Let's pray this morning. So, Father, we pray, God, that there are so many more verses and there are so many more scriptures. But, God, I pray that as we read the Bible, that, God, you would show us, that you would teach us, that, God, we would continually see your love towards us. 
Your love in creation, your love in giving commandments, your love in the cross, your love in everything that you've ever done. We pray that we would see your love in all things, that we would, God, receive your love. God, we would begin to reflect your love. God, I pray that, that, that who you are would so take over who we are, that God, we couldn't help but look at people around us and remember that they are a person for whom Christ died. They are made in your image and likeness. God, help us to love them. Help us to show them your love in this world, God. Help us to become the people that begin to look like Jesus and reflect that great love that you have towards us, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we get a little bit of a big hand clap this morning?